Welcome to Promo Insiders, an ASI Media podcast covering the topics that matter most to the promotional products industry. I'm Executive Editor Sarah Lavendusky, and today I'm joined by Stephen McGarvey, founder and president of Solutions in Mind in Oakville, Ontario. His firm is committed to helping organizations reach objectives, achieve optimal performance, and improve communication skills among team members. Stephen is an authority on unconscious communication, positive persuasion, and influencing with integrity, and he's worked with businesses and spoken professionally around the world. He's also the author of the new book, Ignite a Shift, Engaging Minds, Guiding Emotions, and Driving Behavior. Today, we're going to discuss the power of unconscious communication and how it can improve leadership skills, team cohesiveness, and sales numbers. So thank you, Stephen, for joining us today. We really appreciate it. It's a pleasure, Sarah. Thank you very much for having me on. Thank you. So just wanted to start at the top. Um, for those who are not familiar with it, what is unconscious communication and why is it so powerful? It's one of my favorite questions. We get it all the time. What's the difference between conscious and unconscious communication? <clears throat> A lot of people also bring up the term subliminal. It's essentially, Sarah, I'll define those two terms and then we can sort of unfold the conversation from there. Uh, the, the conscious mind is what we're currently paying attention to. Let's think of it that way. So they say, psychologists will tell us we can pay attention to between seven and nine chunks of information. So uh, seven plus or minus two chunks. So five to seven pieces of information, or sorry, five to nine. And so anything other than that is what we refer to as the unconscious mind. It's what we're not yet paying t attention to. So for example, if, if I were to mention your feet resting on the floor, that was likely outside of your conscious awareness until I bring it up and then notice that your attention goes to your feet resting on the floor. So that's really an easy workable definition. The conscious mind is what we're currently paying attention to. The unconscious is everything other than that, including subliminal, which simply means uh, below the threshold of conscious awareness. And, and so that's really what we're talking about. Great. So how did you get started in this field? It's very niche. Um, what is kind of your background in, in getting involved in this and how did you realize it was so powerful? It became a passion of mine, Sarah. I failed grade two. They told me I was learning disabled and I knew I loved learning. I just hated school and the format of school. Mm -hmm. And so when I discovered this whole field of hypnosis, neurolinguistics, the psychology behind it, and how different people process information differently. Mm -hmm. So how a, a, a statistic, for example, of 10% you know, mortality rate can be framed as 90% long-term survival. We're talking about the same statistic, but at an unconscious level, the emotion that gets triggered outside of awareness is one of hope versus one of fear. And there's a, a study in Daniel Kahneman's book, Thinking Fast and Slow, where he actually looks at Harvard-trained physicians, and if it's framed in the context of 10% mortality, outside of their awareness, in other words, at an unconscious or subliminal level, it triggers the emotion of fear, which drives a different behavior. Whereas if it's framed as 90% long-term survival, which is essentially exactly the same data, same statistic, it triggers hope and optimism and, and therefore a different set of behavior at a conscious level. Uh, so those are the kinds of things that I just found really fascinating, and it became my passion. And I, I went from a, a kid who hated reading to somebody who you see my library behind me. My whole room is filled with books, mm -hmm. and uh, people say, what do you read for fun? And I say, uh, I've never read a, a fiction book in my life. I, I read psychology and branding and positioning and marketing and, and hypnosis and neurolinguistics and psychology because I love it. I find it fascinating. 
Mm -hmm. So to that point, you mentioned subliminal messaging. For those who say, well, this sounds like subliminal messaging, at the worst, it sounds like perhaps there's manipulation involved, right? How would you correct that? And how is it more of an honest way to communicate with those around you? Yeah, I think, Sarah, it's I always tell people and this comes up regularly, I always tell people it's it's like a hammer, you can take a hammer and break windows or you can take a hammer and build a shelter. It's not the hammer, it's the wielder of the hammer. And it's the same with when we're talking about communication that's outside or below conscious awareness. Um, it's the person's intention that's most important. Uh, whether or not it's happening, it's happening all the time. A, a, a parent says to a child, don't spill your milk. The brain fails to process negation. So for a child to even understand that piece of communication, they actually have to imagine spilling the milk. Just like if I say, don't think of an elephant, you, the first thing through your head is an elephant. So we're constantly communicating. The key is what's the intention behind our communication. So if my intention is to make sure the child drinks up the milk carefully and puts the glass in the dishwasher when they're done, then I need to be communicating it effectively that way. If I'm a leader and I say what we're trying to accomplish is, I may not be aware that what I've actually installed is a presupposition of failure. Whereas if I say what we're working on accomplishing is, or what we're moving in the direction of accomplishing is, or the target for what we want to accomplish is, so the language has a big impact on what we're actually installing at a subconscious level. Mm, yes, yes. Word choice, verbiage choice. Yes, that's very interesting. So how can, with that in mind, that's a great segue to my next question for you, which is how can unconscious communication unconscious persuasion, unconscious influence even, positively impact teams? And how does it improve professional leadership? How can you become a better leader by being really conscious of how you communicate unconsciously? Yeah, I, <laughs> I think that's a really great question. And it's interesting that you say, how do we communicate uh, more competently what we're communicating unconsciously. Right. So for us to be managing the language and thinking about our thinking and thinking about the impact of our communication. Sarah, most of us defend our intention. Uh, and when I give that example about don't spill your milk and, and there's parents in the audience, they say, yeah, but uh, that's, that's the opposite to what I intend. And I said, well, the important part from a leadership perspective is that our impact lines up with our intention. So we need to evaluate what is it that we intend to communicate as a message and how do we think about the language we're choosing to communicate that and make sure that it's actually accomplishing what we intend. More often than not, we end up saying, well, they misunderstood, they didn't understand, they took that the wrong way, rather than holding up a mirror and saying, hey, how can I have communicated that more effectively? And that's what we challenge people to do from a leadership perspective is, is look at what's the intent? Where do you want to guide the audience's imagination? Because when you guide their mind there, their body responds as though it's real. And that's what triggers that emotion, just like the 10% mortality. When we frame it that way, outside of awareness, it triggers imagery, it triggers an end result uh, imagination of, of patients dying, for example, mm -hmm. which then triggers, because I'm thinking mortality, which then triggers uh, fear, which then results in a different behavior. Mm -hmm. So it's the same with leaders. Leaders really just need to be that much more aware of the impact their communication is having, uh, as opposed to simply defending their intention and really evaluating and making sure that that's in alignment. So can you give an example of like, say, I'm curious, say there's, say there's a, uh, a sales team and say the sales manager is concerned about performance in a certain area, or there's like a, 
has to deliver bad news in a certain way, right? How do you, with unconscious communication and influence, how do you communicate that without having kind of that mortality mindset among your team members or them thinking that it's unfair how you delivered that message? Like what would be kind of the, the word choice or verbiage at a basic level to unconsciously put them on a more positive path? Because you could go two ways with that conversation. It could be handled really well or it could be handled not so well. Yeah. So how, what would you recommend for somebody who has to have you know, a, a difficult conversation with the sales team perhaps? I think a lot of it depends on the on the individual. So if it's a one on one versus if it's a group of people, I think those are those are a little bit different. Okay. If it's one on one, I would look at what's the personality and the, the the type of individual I'm dealing with. So if, if someone's familiar with DISC or Insights or some of the behavioral profiles that are out there, um, then who am I dealing with? Somebody that likes a bit more detail, somebody that just likes high level, get to the point, and I'm going to communicate that that way. Uh, some people don't like it direct, and and, and cultural uh, sensitivity is another issue, right? Some cultures are very direct and other cultures are offended if it's too direct. Right. So I think it really needs to be addressed on a one-on-one -on -one rather than a broad stroke brush painting everybody. And again, if, if it's a group I'm giving feedback to, it's getting clear on where do I want their imagination, what I want them focused on, because my language and how I communicate the questions that I ask them is going to guide them in a direction. So what is that direction? And in the book, we cover current state and desired state and the fact that our thinking, which includes our whole cognitive realm, our, our beliefs, our values, our stories, our criteria, impacts our emotions, which drive our behavior. So if I'm going to be communicating bad news, for example, um, you know, how do I do that delicately and at the same time hold people accountable? And one of the things I've seen done really, really well, and, and we've used ourselves, is ask questions that get them to give you the answer um, rather than telling them something and so because questions really engage and guide the brain in a direction in fact if we look at the origins of the word question it's questio which means to seek mm -hmm. so when i send some when i ask someone a question or when i ask myself a question i really guide my brain on a quest so i can guide the brain on a quest in a direction based on having a clear intended outcome that i'm after so I think that's one of the things, uh, again, it's, it's a, it really, really does depend on, on who it is I'm dealing with and the dynamics of the audience. Hmm. So with that in mind, it, it, do you recommend that perhaps managers, um, let's say sales managers, perhaps they have on file some personality um, uh, questionnaires or, or those that give them some insight into an individual and how their personality looks like what, what makes them a, their, their individual personality, what makes that up? What's what it's comprised of. Yeah, ab absolutely. Sarah, when we go in and work with teams and team dynamics, for example, um, one of the first things we do is introduce them to one of those behavioral assessments. Like mm -hmm. disc is the one that we like disc mm -hmm. or insights is essentially the same, same idea psychology behind it. Mm -hmm. And it really is an eye opener for a lot of managers because mm -hmm. it, it, it increases their self-awareness of the different styles and behaviors and the different types of people. And then, uh, you know, once they've got that awareness, then they can adjust and self-regulate so that they can uh, change the communication depending on the individual that they're interacting mm -hmm. with. So I think from an emotional intelligence perspective, Sarah, it, it really increases self-awareness and then it gives them that opportunity through that awareness to then regulate how they communicate with different types of people. Hmm. So to switch gears perhaps a little bit, how does this apply to prospects and clients in a sales environment where you're looking to unconsciously communicate to them 
in a way that's persuasive, that's influential, that can, you know, in, a, in an honest, you know, an honest and transparent way, lead them to a sale. But, you know, communicating with them in an honest way and making sure that you're, you're aware of what makes them up as a person. Yeah. How does that work? And especially if it's a new prospect, you're just trying to get to know them. What does that look like? Yeah. And this is a great question, uh, Sarah, because I think all too often people have a, a, a misframing of, of the word selling or sales. And they think, oh, I don't want to sell. And you, you ask, well, what does selling mean to you? And getting at, at what are their underlying you know, frames of what does selling mean? To me, selling means serving. And, and it's really understanding what the client's needs are, the potential client's needs, and then realizing, do I have a solution for those needs? If I don't, then do I know someone who has a solution for that need? Because then I'm still going to be serving them by connecting with someone that has a solution. If I have the solution, then it's how do I present that solution or tell that story in a way that best resonates with them. And you you nailed it. It's it's really how do I get inside the mind of the customer and understand what's relevant to them and why? Those are two questions that I ask all the time. What's relevant to the customer and why? How do you know that? First of all, is what I would ask a salesperson. Because if they're just guessing, then they haven't really put themselves in a place of curiosity. And I think for any salesperson, being curious is one of the best states you can be in. Because it, it communicates interest in the other person. It allows you to ask deeper, more meaningful questions. And then if we're listening, really listening, we'll hear the beliefs and the values and what's relevant to the person. We'll be able to ask why is that relevant and gain insight into their model of the world. So then whatever it is I'm offering, uh, then I can position it and communicate in a way that's more relevant for them. And I think that's one of the key things. I think people that sell based on selfishness never get too far and never really succeed. Whereas those that truly believe they have something of value and that they can serve others with it and that they're interested in other people and determining, uh, determined to find out what are their needs and how can I fulfill those for them? I think those are the people that we see most successful. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you I, also mentioned about how unconscious communication, and this is you know, this is not just, I would say, not just for a professional setting, this could be a personal situation in your own family even, but how unconscious communication can help resolve conflict. Um, yeah. You could be a conflict mediator with unconscious yeah. communication. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So, so again, just to remind the audience, unconscious communication is simply that which is below the threshold of conscious awareness. So if I'm not aware of using words like, but, so if I said, that's a great idea, Sarah, but hmm. what I've just done is broken rapport, instead of giving you the experience that I'm listening and understanding, I'm giving you the experience that I'm dismissing your idea that my idea is more important. Mm -hmm. So if that's below my conscious threshold of understanding, then I'm effectively unconsciously damaging rapport without even knowing I'm doing it. Whereas if I become aware of that and I say, Sarah, that's really interesting. And another thing worth considering is, mm -hmm. notice I've now accepted your idea and I can move the conversation in a direction as opposed to competing with or conflicting with your idea and dismissing it. So little things like that make a big difference in conflict resolution, really evaluating, am I interested in you? And am I looking to have a dialogue that acknowledges your idea and then redirects it or builds on it? Or am I so interested in my own ideas that I'm basically dismissing and, and disregarding yours? And I think that's where a lot of conflict comes in. Also, um, it's when we jump too quickly into details, Sarah, without fully understanding what's relevant to the other person. 
And I always say, we, we use the yeah. term chunking up or chunking down when we're talking about negotiation. I'm always going to chunk back up to a level the, where we last had agreements. So some higher level of agreement. And then I'm going to ask more clarifying questions and only go down into the details as quickly as I'm able to maintain that agreement. And I think that's where conflict arises. If I jump into too many details too quickly without really understanding your needs, then I create a, a chasm or a divide between what I'm pushing on you versus what you actually need. And rather than fulfilling your need and serving you, I'm actually out for my own self-interest. I think that's really where that, that conflict uh, occurs. And if we just step back a little bit, go back up to a level of agreement, and then ask more clarifying questions, maintain that rapport, and only go into the details as quickly as I'm maintaining the agreement. I, I think that's a really good model for people that if they're in an experience where they're uh, dealing with conflict, it's a, it's a really good way to resolve it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Can somebody in their circle of, let's say their circle of influence, it's their personal circle, professional circle, um, and, you know, as that grows with new prospects, new clients, um, how can they use unconscious communication to be even more of an influence within that circle? It sounds like active listening. It sounds like a, a sense of curiosity, true curiosity about the people around you, really getting to know them as people. Um, how can somebody become an, inf an influencer, I would say, in that circle with unconscious communication? Yeah. One of my first questions that I ask people is influence to what end? So what's the outcome? What do you want to influence them to think? What do you want to influence them to feel? And what, you, what do you want to influence them to do? So we break it down in those three things. Because if all I'm doing is closing, for example, on behavior, and, and I'm not influencing their thinking and closing them on the storyline, I'm not influencing their emotion or closing them on an emotional state, then I end up with a bunch of false yeses. And anybody that's been in sales long enough knows that you get a yes, and then you wonder why the behavior doesn't change or why they don't do what they said yes to it's because we're closing on a, on a yes on a behavior without first closing on the storyline and the thinking closing on the emotion and then if, if I've got the right story in my head and I'm feeling the right emotions then when you close me on the behavior you're going to get a, a most likely a true shift in that direction whereas if you just jump to the behavior but my story is still different I'm going to give you a yes just to end the conversation and it, it's what we refer to as a false yes mm -hmm. so it feels good in the moment because I feel like I'm making progress and the person said yes but in the long run I'm, I'm really failing to influence them effectively so the first thing is what do I want to influence them toward and in our book the foundational chapter at the beginning we we look at current state and desired state and really getting people to map that out because then I can look at unconsciously and consciously, what's the dialogue? What's the conversation? How do I move the imagination in that direction? How do I install or trigger or elicit the emotions? And then how do I gain a commitment on the behavior? And I think that's the best advice I can give people is get really clear on that. How do I want them thinking? Because then I can install things. I can suggest things. Um, for example, uh, I'm just a choice of words, again, back to that. If we look at expense versus value or versus investment, hmm. um, I believe there's a market for everything, no matter what the price point is. Uh, it's just a matter of making sure that you connect that value proposition and that the client feels that it's worthwhile investing in that. So mostly from a, an unconscious perspective, we think of as expenses or expenses going out of pocket. We think of investment as something we get a return on. So even on our proposals, for example, we say the investment is, mm. not the cost is, 
right? Because it, it's like, I'm going to get something back out of this if I'm investing in it. That's that's the unconscious metaphor. Whereas if it's the cost is or the expenses, it's like something, notice it triggers a different feeling, a different emotion. Mm-hmm. So those are some of the things at a basic level. First is get really clear on what is it I want to guide your imagination to? And then how do I do that most effectively, both consciously and unconsciously? Wonderful. Great. Well, thank you, Stephen. This was very interesting. I really appreciate your time today. And for more best practices on leadership and sales, please head to asicentral.com slash news. Thanks for listening. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you, Stephen. Thanks, Sarah. Pleasure.